In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a, a television show that has been on for more than a decade called Undercover Bosses. For those who don't know, it's a, it's a reality show where CEOs and, and corporate bigwigs go undercover assuming a false identity, and then, and then they go to work on the ground floor of their own company. For the boss, it is an opportunity to see how their company really works and to check out where improvements might be made. Or it's an opportunity to see what the employees really think of them and their leadership. Or it might be a chance to reward particularly hard-working employees who might be languishing unnoticed. Now, if you're like me, you might be wondering how they justify having a camera crew following around the new guy <laughs> uh, without tipping off all the other regular folks. Um, but, you know, I guess they usually try to claim they're making a documentary or some such story. But anyway, the boss spends about a week incognito, moving from job to job, learning from other workers, and getting to know them as well, both professionally and personally. And then, after the week, the boss resumes being the boss. They summon their employees, and then they reveal their identity. Employees are usually shocked, Sometimes working conditions are improved, inefficiencies are addressed. Those hardworking employees, they, they generally get rewarded for their efforts, while the less than diligent ones are, are often given training sessions or are even sometimes, though rarely, fired. Now, to my mind, while undercover bosses seems to be a product of contemporary media habits and, and late-stage capitalism, it is, in fact, a pretty ancient trope. All sorts of cultures have produced stories where kings assume the roles of the poor, or of beggars, or of petty criminals. And these royals, they go out into the streets to live like common people. They gain wisdom, or they gain humility, or they gain compassion or they, they find their humble and compassionate heirs. But in these stories, the powerful person resumes being powerful. They return to their throne having gained something for having stepped down for a moment. But I bring up undercover bosses, not because I'm advertising, uh, trust me, uh, but instead, because this morning's gospel lesson is, is giving, giving me a bit of, a, of an undercover boss vibe. John the Baptist is in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins and preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, the one anointed by God to usher in God's coming reign. And people of all sorts and conditions have, come, have been coming to be baptized by John. Rich folks, poor folks, good folks, bad folks, people. 
people have been coming out, all in need of God's mercy and forgiveness, all living lives that are touched by brokenness and sin. But then here comes Jesus, who sort of has the undercover boss thing going on, right? If we've been reading Matthew up until now, then we already know that Jesus had a miraculous conception and birth. He is, as the wise men proclaimed, the one born king of the Jews. Jesus is the one that Herod tried to have killed as a child because Herod saw him as a threat to his rule. And as such, Jesus' family were refugees in Egypt in order to avoid Herod's persecution before later returning to Nazareth after Herod's death. Which brings us to this morning's lesson. Jesus, the one of miraculous birth, the king of the Jews, the son of God, comes in all humility to be baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus, the undercover boss. And yet, and yet it looks like John sees through the disguise, doesn't he? John declares to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John catches on. The CEO seems to be revealed. And underlying John's resistance is a fundamental question. Why would Jesus need to be baptized anyway? Yes, Jesus is fully human, just like us in every way. Like us in every way, except in the way that matters here. Which is to say that Jesus is like us in every way, except Jesus is without sin without separation and alienation from God, for indeed, Jesus is not only fully human, but also fully divine. If John's baptism is for the forgiveness of sin, and Jesus is without sin, then what's the point, right? The point is the intention behind who Jesus is and what his mission is is. As Jesus tells John, the baptism is how Jesus and John are to fulfill all righteousness. And righteousness in this context means to fulfill God's will, God's intention, God's mission. And God's will is that Jesus, is that in Jesus, God comes to be with us fully and completely with us. Jesus comes to be in solidarity with us, not only in our triumphs, not only in our nobility, not only in our beauty, but also in our brokenness, in our alienation, in our desperation and neediness. When Jesus descends into the waters of baptism, Jesus descends to be with us in all of our states, including in all of our fears and our hatreds and our ignorance. In entering the water of baptism, Jesus comes to share, 
to share in the chaos and the confusion of our lives and to make them God's own. For as Jesus comes to be with us in our alienation, then indeed there is no state, no life, no place that is alienated from God. For indeed, in Christ, God is there too. God is there also with us. The church often speaks of the humility of God in the incarnation, in the, in the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, in God assuming a human life in the person of Jesus. But the full extent of the humility of God is here, in this solidarity that God has with us in our brokenness. And God enters into the depths of our chaos and our brokenness in order to heal, to save, to raise us up. As Jesus emerges from the waters of baptism, the heavens are opened. The Spirit descends and rests on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven declares, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God announces, This is my child, in whom my soul delights, in whom I find my happiness. And if Jesus comes in all humility to be with us, in the depths of our chaos and brokenness, then we come to be with Jesus as he is raised up from those waters. To us, the heavens are opened. To us, the Spirit alights and rests upon us. To you, the voice of God declares, this is my child, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased, in whom my soul delights, in whom I find my happiness. These words are not restricted to Jesus because Jesus has come to be with us. Come to be with you. And this, this is where the whole undercover boss thing just falls apart. <laughs> the metaphor defeats itself. Because yes, in Jesus, God has come to be with us. The boss, so to speak, is living among us, assuming a human life. But God is not assuming a disguise or trying to trick us. This is who God is. This is the depths of God's enfleshed love for us. God is not disguising God's self, but revealing to us just who God is, revealing that God is God for us, that God is God for us. God is not just with us for a time and then goes back to a, a, a plush office up in the sky. No, God is with us, united to us, at one with us in Christ. And if God is one with us, then we are one with God. In Jesus, God raises us up, elevates us. When St. Paul 
writes about baptism, he describes baptism as a death with Christ. Paul says that we have died with Christ, but that we have been raised with him also. Our lives, our true lives, Paul will say, is now hidden with Christ in God. And as such, nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For God, God is with us. And indeed, God is for us. Amen.